Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining in today. Today, we're sitting down with Ben Lee. Ben's specialty is in biomechanics and rehabilitation within the sports and grappling world. We get in-depth on injuries, mechanics, and the technical knowledge you need to bulletproof your body and its ability to prevent injuries. Before we get started, don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you like what you're seeing and you want to help support our featured athletes, coaches, and guests, make sure you like and subscribe. We are powered by Spirit Leaf Waterdown, located at 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. If you're looking for Canada's top cannabis stop, look no further than Alex and his crew at Spirit Leaf Waterdown. With his knowledgeable staff, you're going to be able to find all the THC and CBD products at the highest of qualities. Online curbside pickup is available. And don't forget to like our Instagram and their Instagram, and you'll save some money. We are also sponsored by Project XGuard. Project XGuard is an amazing program, helping underprivileged youth get connected with jiu-jitsu throughout the GTA, and they continue to do so. If you know anybody who would benefit from the gifts of jiu-jitsu in their life, make sure you contact us or Project XGuard on Instagram, and we'll be able to help you out. Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest tonight here. His name is uh, Benjamin Lee. Um, I've known him a long time, but I'm going to let him kind of introduce himself and kind of his background. And I think you'd be a very valuable asset to this podcast and those who are listening. So Ben, why don't you uh, tell the world, all 10 of our viewers, uh, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Yeah, we've known each other for a long time and it's sometimes hard to believe how long it was. Uh, but long story short, I am what you call a biomechanist. So I look at the physics of human motion and relate it to what this means in terms of your athletic performance, your injury risk, and your ability to interact with your environment. So this is important because all you guys, all you JITS players and martial artists listening to this, I'm sure you've all had some nagging to major aches or pains that have really limited your ability to train hard, get better at your sports, and even just enjoy your quality of life. You know, the number of people I've seen with, for example, with sore low backs, it not just impacts their ability to go, you know, get a few rolls in, but after they're done training, you know, they want to play with their kids or they want to, you know, hang out with their buddies. And we don't have the ability to bend your spine because it hurts too much. So you can't play with your little kid anymore. Man, that, that really sucks, like for your quality of life. So what I do is I take a very engineered approach, looking at the way your body functions and moves. We utilize or I utilize my knowledge base in order to now identify limitations and compensations that might be increasing your risk of injury. And through my current company, we then provide training solutions, uh, customized exercise development in order to mitigate your risk so that you can perform better, improve your injury resilience, and yeah, train uh, and perform to your best. Let me ask you, Benjamin, so like what's kind of like the most common things or like kind of trends that you've kind of seen, especially with like clients who 
you know, involved in like grappling sports or even like kind of like martial arts? Obviously, I know it, it varies depending on the martial art, but what's kind of like the most common that you've kind of come across? Yeah, so that's, 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 a, that's a really good question. So particularly in grapplers and jits players, what we're finding is a lot of low backs, shoulders, and knees, uh, surprisingly or not. And I, I can, and low backs, you know, I totally understand, um, you know, like, I mean, jits is, you know, you can, it, it's the art of folding your laundry with people still wearing the clothes. So, you know, when you, when you're going to bend someone's spine into, uh, and, and over, you know, multiple repetitive cycles over and over again, this is one of the big mechanisms for low back injury. You know, the best way I can think about this is kind of like bending like a, an object, whether it's a fork or a coat wire hanger, where I can take this fork and I can, I'm not actually going to bend it. But did, I you, can, did you just <laughs> randomly have a fork there just for this? I'm going to use, oh, oh, I know what I need. I need a fork for later for this analogy that I'm going to, that I'm going to be bending. Or, well, you know, it's like people internet are like, you know, like, oh, are, are you real or not? Take a picture of a spoon. Like, where's your spoon pick? So <laughs> I got my, I got my fork right here. It's like, take a picture of the fork. So I know you're real. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, so the, so the idea here is, you know, I could take something like a fork or a coat wire hanger. I can bend it back and forth once and it's going to be okay. Right. But you bend that back and forth a thousand times and eventually it's, it's going to snap in two. And this is the, all the mechanism of all repetitive strain and overuse-based injuries. So when you look at a sport like JITS, you know, you're, there's a lot of rolling, there's a lot of contorted positions, a lot of you know, getting folded in half, spinal flexion, extension, axial twisting. These, these cycles repeated over time gradually wear away the tolerance of your spinal discs and all those tissues in there. And, you know, just like with a coat wire hanger, you do that enough times and boom, this is how you develop a low back injury, a disc herniation, a ligament strain, all that kind of fun stuff. So I think what confounds it even more for grapplers is that you guys spend a lot of time under tension. You know, uh, when, I, when I contrast it to, for example, kickboxing or Muay Thai, um, usually there you'll see a lot more extremity based injuries. So knees and shoulders and elbows are, are three big ones. Uh, I've, I've injured all three of those, um, competing in Muay Thai. Uh, and, and it, it tends to be more so because of the ballistic or high velocity nature of the sport. You know, like if you're throwing a punch, the time under tension is like, it's like barely, like barely anything because that punch is coming in and out in you know, less than a second, but the amount of speed, the amount of velocity, that that joint experiences to now create that impact, you know that 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 can that can, that can really add up. So that's one of the major differences. And I mean, not to mention as well, you know, with the striking sports, odds of head trauma, you know, much much higher as well. But that's a whole another story for for another day. Uh, but regardless, you know, for like for like the grapplers and the jits guys, it it really is, you know, a lot of this time under tension, a lot of these repetitive mechanisms that really seem to be busting people up. And I think what's even more surprising as well is when you then look at like the actual training. So like if, if you're doing any strength and conditioning or whatnot, exercise selection and more importantly, exercise form becomes even more important because it's now kind of like you're burning the candle at both ends. Your body's absorbing load while you're on the mats and getting your rolls in and your body's absorbing even more load from some guy doing crappy deadlifts with like that look like an upside down you as he's you know going through the range of motion so uh, as, as a result the uh, 
find, finding ways to train smartly so that you can enhance your athleticism, but not drain your capacity is fairly important. And to kind of finish off that thought, I'll, I'll hit you with another analogy, which is that you, you, you can model your body as like a, like, a, like a cup full of water or a protein shake in this case. And every time you add load to your body, whether it's, you know, um, absorbing load from just your grappling or pulling a set of deadlifts, it's like you're adding water into the cup. The more load, the more water you're adding. But what's the, the important thing here is your cup has a finite amount of volume. Eventually, when you add enough water, that cup's going to overflow. And in your body, this is one pain or injury that occurs, you know, going back to a coat wire analogy. So you might be asking, all right, so what do I do to not overflow my cup? Well, there are three things in particular we can do. Number one, we can stop adding so much water to our cup. And that comes primarily through good exercise selection, you know, finding exercises that impose minimal loads, but high training effects. The second option is to actually drain the water out of your cup which would be through therapeutic exercises and drills, a lot of breathing-based drills, foam rolling, all that kind of fun stuff. And the third and most important option is that we can actually increase the size of our cuts through a carefully graded exercise program. And this is gonna launch me to another tangent, which I, you know, I won't ramble on about too, too much, but when, when people train, you know, there, there's unfortunately, you know, there's, there's a perversion of training, which comes from the bodybuilding world, which is that people expect that after they finish working out, they need to feel like they're beaten down, like they're fatigued and they can't go anymore. And, you know, like while this might, you know, work out well, you know, for guys who want to get jacked and like, you no know, bodybuilders and whatnot, for an actual athlete, this is the exact opposite of what you want to accomplish. If anything, after your SNC or your non-sport training sessions, uh, we usually tell our guys that you should feel better than before you started. Like, you know, by the time you finish your workout, you should be feeling like you're ready to run through a brick wall and tear someone's head off. Uh, because that is what's going to now allow you to now train harder for your jits practice or your grappling without actually, you know, imposing too, filling too much water into your supposed cup. Nice. Now, let me ask you this, because like, I don't know, let me ask you like how much stock you would put into where, especially when you talk about time under tension, for example, like isometric based exercises from there, or even breaking it down even further into like end range conditioning, whereas you're actually taking joints to extremities and then conditioning the joints through the extreme tension right? And create more space within the joint to, to simplify it for our listeners. Like we're trying to make the joint itself stronger, more pliable, more conditioned. Like how much stock would you put into that? Especially a guy in your field. Uh, a lot, a lot. Um, this is really important, especially for people who already are experiencing the early symptoms, like, you know, like, like, like a nagging soreness uh, that's already occurring. Because at that point, you know, the damage is already there to the point your body is telling you, ow, this hurts, stop doing whatever you're doing, because it's like, and I'm telling you to stop doing it through the pain. So, you know, taking this joint by joint approach it, it is, is very interesting. I, I think where the controversy lies is do how do you, what's the modality uh, of exercise that's actually going to help you achieve your goal? 
uh, because uh, as you alluded to, Aaron, taking a joint to an end range of motion and getting that, you know, that flexibility, the ability to control motion through the full range is absolutely critical. But the difficulty is when someone does not exhibit that type of control. And, you know, like you, you might've heard these, you know, statements, you know, like in the fitness world, for example, trainers telling their clients, oh, don't do sit-ups, sit-ups are bad for your back. They're gonna, you know, herniate a disc, um, you know, things of that nature. And I mean, these are all somewhat half-truths, you know, the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Oddly enough, um, if you ever heard that statement that, you know, sit-ups are bad for your back, that was dubiously originated from the lab where I did my master's degree at University of Waterloo. Uh, I, I, was, my, I was supervised by a professor named Dr. Stuart McGill. Uh, you have to check him out. I'll, I'll plug his website, backfitpro.com. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stuart is the world's leading expert in spine biomechanics. So looking at how do the physics of the spine affect injury resilience, recovery, and performance. And you know, when we look at low back injuries, long story short, one of the worst cases you can do or experience is to take the joint through its full end range of motion and then apply force to it. And I think that really holds you for any joint. When you think about it like in jits, like an arm bar, knee bar, heel hook, you're literally taking, for example, an arm bar. I'm taking my elbow to my 100% end range of extension, and then I'm putting force on it. And that is what creates the owie of, oh man, I'm going to snap my arm. <laughs> that's, that's a scientific term for everybody at home. <laughs> I have two owies. <laughs> so ben, the, go ahead, Ben. Show us on the doll where it hurts. <laughs> show us on the doll where it hurts. So, so Ben, I wanted to ask you from earlier, um, what are some specific, like going back to like the bottle analogy, I think, is, which is an excellent analogy, but just kind of deep diving on that and getting a little more specific. What are some like kind of specific exercises, maybe specifically for somebody who's listening to this and they're, you know, a 40 year old jujitsu competitor, or they're, you know, they're practicing Muay Thai a few days a week. Are there specific exercises for each sport that you would recommend or certain things to be careful of? What are, uh, what are your kind of your thoughts on training for both uh, BJ, BJJ and Muay Thai? Yeah, so that, 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 that's a really good question. Um, I'll give you two separate answers. Uh, the more thorough answer is that it depends. Totally depends on the, per on the individual scenario. What are their current abilities? Where do they need to be? And most importantly, what is their injury history? And that is gonna dictate what, what your do's and don'ts of your exercises. Uh, so, you know, what I would do in that case is I would take, an, take someone through a very specialized movement assessments, look to see, you know, how their body's performing, correlate that to their perceived pain. And, and, and I can use that data then formulate a training program that's going to help, you know, improve upon the compensations as well as the pain that they're feeling. But that being said, particularly for the two martial arts you mentioned, there are a lot of commonalities. Uh, so, you know, for JITS, you know, we talked about low back issues being one of the biggest ones. And that's probably where I would start, to be honest. Uh, because, you know, back, going back to this idea of increasing the size of your cup through exercise, this is, you know, basically what I do for a living. Uh, and especially for the low back, um, there are some fantastic exercises that will impose minimal loads, but teach you how to, you know, um, create activation on these muscles 
and increase their capacity to absorb load. So some of the big ones that I like are the plank, the side bridge, the bird dog, modified curl-ups, uh, basically very much isometric-based exercises that create that time under tension you're alluding to, Aaron. Uh, but at the same time, these exercises uh, are, are designed to impose minimal forces onto the spine, but elicit a very high activation of your core muscles. So, you know, I, I could, add, I could, you know, like maybe like in, in the description, I'll send a few YouTube links to some of my, so some of my video uh, exercise descriptions, but like, if, like, but like what, like, I mean, for a lot of my, like my clients who are elite level athletes, you know, they're used to like busting up their backs, doing like 500 sit-ups or whatever. And we, and instead, you know, I come to them and I tell them, all right, we're not doing these sit-ups anymore. You're going to give me five, 10 second planks. And they look at me going like, like 10 second planks, like, oh, I don't know what this guy's talking about. But then we start using certain cues that help elicit greater neuromuscular priming or activation. So we get, we tell them, brace your core like someone's gonna kick you, kick you in the stomach, squeeze your glutes, squeeze your fists, pull your elbows towards your belly button and turn this on as hard as you can for those 10 seconds. And generally the feedback afterwards is, holy crap, I didn't realize a 10 second plank would be so difficult. But the idea, hold the whole premise there is to train smarter um, while also training hard as well. Um, to kind of close the loop on this, now you're getting into your Muay Thai uh, and kickboxing guys. Um, again, you know, extremities, shoulders, uh, elbows, hips, and knees, uh, very, very big because of the, you know, just the fact you're, you're striking, impacting with these, with these limb segments. Uh, core stability, again, insanely important for the Muay Thai guys. I'm currently living this, you know, rehabbing from a couple of orthopedic surgeries I, I had. But when you look at the way the body functions is a principle that I really try to espouse to people that is known as proximal stiffness equals distal mobility. So for the non-nerds, what exactly that means is the more stable your trunk is, the better your limbs are going to move. And I can kind of liken this to, let's say, you know, I, I give you a 12 gauge shotgun. I tell you to go shoot it, but you're going to, you're going to do it while standing in a canoe in the middle of a lake. And you can think about what's going to happen. The recoil is going to knock you over. You're going to fall into the lake. You're wet. No one's happy here. And this is the same idea of, you know, trying to throw like a, a straight right or a swing kick off an unstable trunk. You're not going to be able to create that impact force. Uh, let's say like, you know, a guy like Clifton Brown or Simon Marcus could, because there's simply nothing to brace against. So as a result, you know, for the Muay Thai guys, we do a lot of work when it comes to core stability. But one of the big things afterwards for performance enhancement is then working on their balance, you know, their ability to root themselves into the ground, grip into the floor, transfer the energy from the ground into their legs through their trunk and out their hands. And lastly, the very last thing, you know, I would say for the Muay Thai guys uh, would be as well, a lot of prehab for, and, corrective, and corrective work for the shoulders. And that's primarily because when you look at very traditional, you know, Muay Thai stances or boxing, you know, there's a lot of internal rotation, kyphosis of the upper back, a lot of chin poking as well, just from the shelled up guard. So the idea there is, you know, if you think about it, you know, if you're logging a lot of hours, you know, in the ring, hitting pads or sparring, your body is going to take a very much a very natural inclination to now, you know, being in this very rounded posture. 
you confound that with the fact that, you know, a lot of guys are working in offices, they're working desk jobs, working from home once, you know, sitting on their couch on their laptop. You're just all hunched over, very classical Neanderthal posture. You know, it can lend itself to a lot of upper back, neck and shoulder injuries. So as a result, for the Muay Thai guys, we work a lot on upper back mobility as well as shoulder mobility through the full range of motion. And that kind of, you know, rounds out the gamut for the Muay Thai guys from a rehab all the way to performance-based aspect. So kind of getting into, I'm just kind of like crossing into the Muay Thai world just for a minute, because obviously like we're having, like based on like Western-based society, like obviously individuals, recreation, you know, desk jobs, working at home, doing all that and not training, you know, seven days a week, hard training type thing. And then if you go obviously overseas to Thailand, you're going to have all these individuals working out in their facilities every single day, just putting their bodies through punishment that we don't even know about. Right. And you're seeing again, structural damage happening to these cores and all that. And they're just beating the shit out of each other, basically. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, like when you kind of see, like, obviously this is a training method that's been used for hundreds of years, but then now transferring this type of thing into Western-based society, like, do you, do you think the methods that like, obviously Western medicine, like the principles that you're using would be beneficial there? Or it's kind of like, Hey, they, no, they don't need that because they've trained that certain way for so long. Their bodies have adjusted to this type of form. And if, trying to take that over there or bring it over here it doesn't coincide yeah fuck yeah that, that, that that's 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 such a good question and i and you know to be honest i think people are still trying to answer this uh and it's interesting you know because like when i check my instagram for example i, I follow the pet md academy uh which is a very uh it's a world famous muay thai gym out of out of thailand <coughs> You know, they got guys on their roster like Pet Morricot, Pet Dam, mm -hmm. Capitan, who are all, you know, elite, you know, Lumpini, Ratchadamner, and one championship world champions. Um, and, but you, but there, it's interesting because the Pet Yindi guys, you can judge based on their Instagram stories, are adopting Western SNC methods. But the way it's taught, holy fuck, man, uh, this is not cool. <laughs> <laughs> no bueno at all. You know, I, I saw a video of like Pet from Pet Morricott's Instagram of him doing goblet squats. And it's like, oh, like, are you trying to bust your ACLs? Like, like the amount of like, <laughs> and like, no one's telling him this. And it's like, squats are good for you. You know, like you, when done properly, you know, it's fantastic, amazing mobility, stability, strength, endurance exercise. But when it's done, you know, with like crappy form, like, you know, like this is exactly how people hurt themselves. So, you know, to kind of, you know, also bring this the other way around, when you look at the differences between, say, Western and Thai cultures, um, it, it's not uncommon, you know, for like Muay Thai fighters to start when they're like four or five, six years old. And at that point, <laughs> and then you're getting your ass beat by like a, a 13 year old who's had like <laughs> 600 pro Thai, Muay Thai fights. And then like you go, you go to train in Thailand and like you're getting your ass kicked by like a taxi driver who smokes like three packs a day. <laughs> yeah, literally some, some like some retired guy who's just got like a big like beer gut, just driving a taxi all day and still got the muscle memory to beat some Farang's ass uh, you know, with that, without any efforts. And like, it, and it's a, it's a totally crazy world because like, yeah, like, you know, these guys start from a young age. And I think, you know, what's going on here, the reason these guys can withstand, you know, this insane training 
is that you know they're products of their environments. Uh, it's that you know it's it, what's in, what's interesting. You know, as I alluded to earlier, you know, with that cup and the other uh, wire hanger analogy, is that when you're given too much load or not enough load, this is when bad things happen. You know, when you're given too much load, this is when injury mechanism occurs. Too little load, like you know, like you're just sitting on your couch eating potato chips, drinking a beer, uh, you know, for 20 hours a day. Um, you know, which uh, I don't know how what percentage of your listening population is going to fit that category. I, th you know, I think Aaron. I think Aaron's in that percentage right now. <laughs> don't don't listen to what this fucking guy tells you. Hey man, I work. I work out. I'm like two thirty now. Okay. <laughs> He's pressed. Wow. We got freaking, exactly. Freaking I'm sure if Benjamin. Look at me. I'm swole. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Aaron, what are you weighing right now? Like 160, 165? Oh, 190. <laughs> <laughs> solid. Damn. 190 solid. <laughs> Damn, there's a lot of beef in this, uh, in, in, in the Zoom channel. <laughs> yes. well zoom adds like 20 pounds right you zoom adds like that. 20 pounds our uh, our guest if if you're listening to us on audio ben's about like six seven three twenty five <laughs> twisted steel and sex appeal i wish if i was six seven and like 325 i wouldn't be sitting here right now i'd probably be like busting some skulls in like one championship or glory kickboxing <laughs> <laughs> Or like choke slamming somebody and like one chance. Yeah, like, that's, that's like that's more plausible. It's choke slamming like Brock Lesnar through like, through a table. <laughs> so yeah. speaking of which, because you brought up some things when it came to training, um, what are so like? And you mentioned like you you've seen on Instagram like some, I guess you could say ridiculous training trends. I think you could say the least. What are some of the craziest things you've seen when it comes to like training Muay Thai, training Jiu Jitsu, or even just like strength and conditioning in general? Because yeah, you know, you've been you've been following this for a long time. What are some things oh. that just you still cringe? Oh, hold 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 on to your seats. I'm gonna I'm gonna rant at you for a long time because I got a lot of pent up frustrations. So go right ahead. <laughs> oh, let's let's hear it, buddy. Just pent up. <laughs> Aaron, so you hear I'm, that? I'm not gonna name any names, but you know, like like I I I've traveled around, you know, to quite a few martial arts gyms, you know, in Southern Ontario, like I did a lot of my training out in Guelph and Waterloo over at Victory Muay Thai and then what became Waterloo Muay Thai. You know, I spent some time at York Muay Thai, Brampton Muay Thai, Siam number one, uh, and a couple other gyms that shall not be named. And the reason I'm not going to name them is, holy fuck, you look at the way like they train their guys. And it's like, you know, like the, the way I look at it is difference between a martial artist and a street fighter is that the martial artist is, is skilled at what he does, at what they do. Whereas a street fighter, just some guy who's like, oh yeah, I can take you bro. And just fucking swinging hands here. And when I look at like the way some of these so-called Muay Thai classes are run, it's like there, there is no attention being paid to like your technique. Like like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there watching this class occur, then like the, um, you know, like the instructor is like, is a skilled fighter, but then like, you know, they're letting this goofy shit go. Like, you know, like, like they're taking ranked beginners who have no idea how to throw a punch and they're giving them like, uh, all right, here's your first combo, double jab, cross, lead hook, swing kick, swing kick, switch, switch knee, switch knee, swing kick, cross, hook, cross. And it's like, what the fuck did you just say? And then when you watch these guys attempt it, it's just like, like you know, you, see, you ever see that Simpsons episode when Lisa plays hockey and she's oh, yeah. like an argument and he's like, all right, get out of my room. 
And Bart's like, okay, but on my way out, I'm going to go like this. And if you get hit, it's your own fault. For those listening on audio, Ben was just flailing his arms like <laughs> this. Homer, but, don't you eat this pie. <laughs> if I go, um, 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 if you get in the way, it's your own fault. <laughs> but yeah, like that's literally, you know, what, what I'd see there. So, you know, and I can't believe that, you know, people are paying good money to do this. And like, you know, I, I, I understand that, you know, for certain people, you know, like, you know, they're office workers, you know, they're like in their thirties or forties and they want to feel like a badass. So yeah, you know, getting out there hitting pads or whatever, you know, make, makes you feel good. But, you know, the way I looked at it, even especially, you know, coming from very technical backgrounds, not just, you know, me personally, but also, you know, my trainers, you know, very, very big sticklers of, of technique, you know, you know, shout outs to Brampton Muay Thai, as well as Waterloo Muay Thai, you know, like, like and Sam number one, you know, these guys, like they, they're on their ball, they're on the ball when it comes to understanding the physics of human motion and performance optimization. But like, I, I totally get that, you know, like if you were to take some guy who just wants to feel like a badass and you make him just box step for the first month of training, you know, your, your ability to generate revenue and retain clients is going to be really poor because it's just boring as fuck. But, you know, that, that the, the boring shit works. And I think, you know, that is also one of my big gripes as well is when, when I'm on Instagram, like, I mean, to be honest, I don't follow any YouTube fitness. I barely follow any, any Instagram fitness because it infuriates me so much to see. And it's the way I can say, uh, like in this, it's, it's like, it's, it's, there's no, it's all flash, no substance. Like you see guys, you know, doing ladder drills or some stupid clapping push-up challenge or whatever. And it's like, okay, yeah, aside from showing off of the gram, you've actually done nothing, uh, you know, that to actually elicit athletic performance or, you know, athletic optimization. These are just, you know, neat little parlor tricks that'll impress your dumb friends on Instagram, um, you know, who are, you know, very easily impressed by, you know, bright and shiny objects. But there's no actual, you know, real work being done. You know, think of it like this, like, you know, like, let's say, you know, you want to get a workout in and you, and you came to me and I'd be like, all right, well, you live in a condo. How many, like, how many, how many stories? 30? Good. Run up and down every single step for 10 total sets. And you're going to be like, what the fuck? And I'll be like, well, like, you know, it's, it's going to, it's going to tire you out. Right. Like, you know, no, I don't care how conditioned you are running up 300 stories is going to blow anyone out. And this is the way I liken, you know, to how a lot of popular fitness is done. It's that people seem to equate suffering with results, which I'm not sure, you know, where that even comes from. Like, I don't know about you, but like, if someone told me, hey, you know, you could hit 50% hard, I'll teach you how to hit 50% harder, or I'll teach you to be a 50% faster, and you don't have to lift any extra weights in what you're doing right now. You know, I, I do it in a heartbeat, you know, like, he's like a much less work for a, for a much greater net gain. So, you know, as a result, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people, you know, will try to do like a lot of fancy kettlebell stuff, body weight stuff or whatever. And sure, you know, you're exercising for the sake of exercising, but if your goal is to be a better athlete, like you, you got, you got much better things to do, you know, with your very limited time and resources and, and, and energy as well. So let me, yeah. let, me comb my, let me comb my brain as well, because there's, there's other shit that's really pissing me off. And I feel like this would be very good. We're just going to title this podcast shit that just pisses Ben off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Grinds my gears. <laughs> well, 
Well, that, that's the thing. I think like obviously like in a in an era of like COVID and obviously like even with like clubs shutting down. So it's like that's what people like gravitated to. They've looked at okay Instagram and they've looked for whatever is motivating for them to get themselves going. Like the one thing like I will say is like Peloton was really smart to get the whole idea of their bike and their community built and built around their Peloton bike and obviously branching out. Right. But then there's people who can't afford a $3,000 bike. They're going to go for, okay, Hey, I can get these workouts for free online or whatever. Right. But I think, like you said, it's created this atmosphere of like, yeah, I have to kill myself every single time I go to work out. And again, it's kind of comes to two extremes because it's like, like there's, um, there's some people who are, and, then, and again, how algorithms work is if it, if it looks good, it's got a good, good music, you're going to see it the most, right? But then you're actually going to not see individuals who are actually giving good quality information, if that's what they're due, because it's not flashy. People don't want to see that shit, right? It doesn't pop up on their feed, but maybe one person might see it and then, okay, one person saw it, which I know is the better you know, it's a better thing we want. Yeah. You're not getting the, the, the feed. Right. Mm-hmm. And then my thing is like, there's one guy I've been, I've been looking at recently was like, you ever hear of a uh, knees over toes? Guy? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he was, uh, Joe Rogan talked, talked about him recently. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah. he popped up on my Instagram just because I watched that episode and it was like, and I'm watching it and it's like, yeah, he's very good for injury prevention, but I'm like, I can't fucking put my knee over my toe like that and gonna do a huge squat and blow my fucking patella. <laughs> like, like, my knee was like, like snapping half watching like, that. I ain't doing that. Like that's just fucking crazy. But yeah, but like, I'm not saying it I'm not saying it doesn't work, right? But what the fuck do I know? But like I don't know. Like just as being like a fitness professional to to a certain extent not as knowledgeable as you I can tell what's right and what's kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I know basically to summarize what Aaron is saying is I think we can all agree. It's the, the most, the basic things are the things that are actually going to work the most effectively when it comes to fitness, strength and conditioning. Um, so like a squat is going to be a squat with proper form. A deadlift is going to be a great with proper form, a lunge, a push, a pull, you know, any sort of core stability component. Um, I think most of the, I think basically just touching on what Aaron said, and I agree, a lot of people just throw out some stuff out there to, you know, get views and get attention. And meanwhile, they could be doing potentially more harm than good to people that are watching this. They're like, oh, I could do this, ex- this crazy, like exploding push up off, off of like 20 or like a Bosu ball calf raise reverse upside down, inside out. We had a, we had somebody on earlier. We were talking about like the craziest uh, things that you've seen in the gym, and in our time at Lifetime, I think me and Aaron, we can both agree that we've seen some crazy things. <laughs> oh man! So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, like when I when I was uh, still at University of Waterloo, I, I had this this buddy of mine who was like the strong, like crazy strong, naturally strong guy. He's a natural and actual a legitimate drug free bodybuilder that was actually jacked. Uh, but this guy, every time I'd see him there, he'd call me over to spot him on squats. And all the time I'd be thinking, man, if you bail, we're both we're both so fucked. Because this guy... <laughs> upside if down. I'm going to hell, I'm taking you with me. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like, like, you don't need me to spot you. Like, the only, like, me spotting you is just putting me at liability here. So, like, you're just, like, spreading out, spreading out the damage, I, I suppose. 
But like this guy would take an upside down, would stand on an upside, would unrack, you know, like four plates aside, like a 405 barbell, and then gingerly balance himself on an upside down Bosu ball and then proceed to do like a set of five or eight squats or whatever while he's trying to get me to like spot him and catch him in case he loses balance. And I'm like, bro, like the combined weight of you and the bar is like 600 pounds. Like if you fall, like I'm like, I'm not catching you, man. I'm just going to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, so. <laughs> oh no. And I, I agree. Like, it's just like, I understand the, the limits of pushing an individual like to, okay. They want to hit a max dead. They want to hit a max squat, whatever. I totally understand that. But there's, again, it comes to the point where it's like, if the spotter can't, safely spot you right and if this is like a, a world record attempt and there should be five guys around this squat bar to pull it off of you this is probably not something you should be doing anyways right and th this type of gym or, or one is, person <laughs> or <laughs> we've seen uh yeah me and aaron have seen a lot of crazy things at the uh, the gym that we do not speak of on here <laughs> but uh i want to ask you what are some things that you've seen? You've worked in, you know, University of Waterloo. We're allowed, we're allowed to say University of Waterloo. Shout out University of Waterloo. Um, you've trained a lot of different Muay Thai gyms. Like, what were some of, like, the worst things that you've seen, like, technique-wise that stand out to you? Uh, just, again, you know, at, at this gym, gym that I'm not going to name, you know, just – you, you, you look at guys and you talk to them, you know, how you somebody. can name them off air. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you know, I, I talked to some of the people training. They're like, oh, you've been here, man. I'm like, oh, like, like one year, two years, whatever. And I'm like, like, I really hope you get a refund. Cause like <laughs> in the past, like in the past two years, you've learned absolutely zero skills. And it's just that again, you know, you watch some guy try to throw a swing kick on the pads and it just, it's kind of like, again, that Simpson Homer comes a boxer and then Moe's like, all right, Homer, let's see you left. And like, before he throws the punch, like the fly lands on the pad and he hits it. And then he <laughs> away. And like, this is what I'm, when I, when I'm seeing these guys hit pads, cause it's like, dink, dink, dink. Oh yeah, I'm such a badass. And like, and like, that's the thing is again, you know, like you're hitting pads for the sake of hit, for the sake of exercising. But like the idea that the fitnessization of martial art to me is one of the worst things that ever happens to any martial art, like whether it's mm -hmm. Muay Thai, BJJ, uh, karate, Taekwondo. Oh fuck! Like, I'll, like <laughs> I still remember at at Water at Waterloo. You know, we were training. Uh, we had a Muay Thai club there, and it was a legitimate club. Like uh, my trainer Andrew Poon. Um, like legitimate badass, like he walks around 160, hits like a fucking truck. Uh, I, I, I had the bruises to prove it. Uh, but you know, we were taught legit, like, like Muay Thai when taught, when taught properly, you know, you, you can fuck someone up real badly with it. But we used to sometimes see the karate club, you know, finish up their practices. And we just be watching it going like, I feel like, you know, someone who's training here, you know, who thinks, oh, I'm getting self-defense. I know how to handle myself on the streets now. It's like, uh, this is not going to go well if you ever tried this. And like, we, we were watching like your, their students throw like front snap kicks on like the big targets. And again, it's just like, it's like someone like flicking. It's like, dink, dink, dink. It's like, oh yeah, now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, this is like the equivalent of like, uh, like a semi-shilt, like front snap kick that busts your liver up because the guy's seven feet tall and 300 pounds. Of course, it's going to hurt. But when you're watching, you know, like some like second year engineering students 
you know, who's barely exercising their life, you know, throw these same techniques. It's like, oh, like this, this club, this karate club is doing a real disservice to these guys because like they're creating a false sense of security that, oh yeah, you know, I'm a purple belt or a brown belt in, in karate. I can handle myself. Like, no, you, you, you cannot. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> you do not fight. You will die. <laughs> So, so let me, let me ask you this because obviously coming into an age of like, eventually like things are going to open up and it's going to be like that roaring twenties, like, all right, everybody fucking go, right? Let's fucking do this. And the biggest thing with, and again, the transitions happened within the last like bunch of years, obviously where any jujitsu gym or any kind of like jujitsu club, Muay Thai, whatever, right. It's learn this martial art self-defense get in shape that is generally the the three main taglines right and then it always kind of goes into like hey i'm out of shape i want to get in shape and then this is what i like the old i could like striking whatever right do you kind of feel like where obviously the fitness industry is gone where it's it's not about the art anymore it's more like the fitness side to it or is that just like certain schools and their basis or I think yeah, it's certain like, schools, honestly, it's certain, cer- it's certain schools. I, you can see that even in jujitsu as well, but I think, yeah, go, go ahead, Ben. Like I have my own opinions on this, but yeah, let's it, hear it, yours it, first. It's, it's definitely certain schools, you know, cause I can think about, you know, like when I used to spend time at victory or Brampton Muay Thai, you know, like it was very, very technical. I mean, like the, the training was hard uh, because we're, we're, it's a lot of repetition, a lot of efforts. Uh, but like, we're actually spending time to break the technique down to the finest minutia because, you know, even one thing I say is that the most subtle changes in your biomechanics can have the most profound impacts in your actual objective performance. And, you know, this is one reason I really like hanging out, you know, with Poon or with like crew Nick at, at Brampton Muay Thai, as well as Dr. Don out there, because they, they, they get it. Like they, they arrived at the same conclusion that I did but in a, in, a, in a different modality. I looked at it from a pure engineering nerd standpoint. They looked at it from how can I use this martial art to wreck someone in the most efficient way possible? And the two answers, and we both, both converged on the same answer. But then again, you know, you go to other gyms that don't have this, you know, very technical background. And yeah, you know, you can even look at it in, the, in like their member populations. Like Victory was this little hole in the wall gym that smelled like a Chinese supermarket in in the basement of some. Shop. Whoa, 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 whoa! We can't say that on here. Oh uh, wait, never, <laughs> never mind. Just for for those listening, uh, Ben is clearly. What is it? What is it? <laughs> oh yeah, I keep forgetting people can't see me. Yeah, so I'm. I'm, 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 I'm Don't get me canceled. Okay? Don't get me canceled. We're like, we're like borderline. All right. Excuse yeah, me, like, why are you two white males perpetuating anti-Asian hate? <laughs> especially, yeah, Aaron. In year, especially in the year 2021. Usually, uh, usually on this podcast is I, I usually promote a lot of anti-Irish, anti-Aaron stuff. On yeah. <laughs> just because it's Aaron. Uh, fuck. Anti, anti-ginger. <laughs> Anti-soul. <laughs> But uh, touching back on um, something I wanted to ask you earlier is you were talking about like assessments briefly mm-hmm. and uh, you, you, you do a lot of assessing and you work with a lot of different, you know, you work with a lot of different athletes and a lot of regular Joes. Um, take us through your 
assessment process and protocol? Like, what does that look like? And for those that are maybe interested in maybe potentially doing one down the line, like, how does, how does it work? Yeah, yeah. Ex excellent question. So basically, you know, anytime, like before anyone, anyone, whether it's a trainer or a therapist or, you know, whoever gives you exercises to do, if they haven't assessed your baseline to look, function, to look at how do you move your body, they are doing immediately, you know, don't use these guys. They're doing you a huge disservice um, because that assessment is going to dictate what exercises you can do, what exercises you shouldn't be doing, and what are some supplementary exercises that will help you achieve your end goal or progress you into doing some of the exercises you weren't allowed to do before. So with, with me, I like to run people through like a, a movement-based assessment. So we'll usually pick off between five to seven different movement tests. I used, it's, and these tests are very specific in the sense that they're constrained in the very awkward positions and postures. And I'm looking to see what's the way their body naturally um, adapts to these weird positions. You know, like um, so based on testing out worst case scenarios here. So for example, like one of the tests we'll do is that we'll take a dowel rod, I'll get them to hold it with a shoulder width grip, drive it overhead. And we're just gonna do a behind the neck pull down, trying to touch the rod to the base of their neck, bring it back up. And with that, you know, we can actually discern a lot, not just about, you know, um, shoulder mobility, because it does test that, but as well, like what's the timing and the coordination between your shoulders, elbows, and wrists as you do this push and pull motion? What is the velocity of which you move that, the smoothness of the motion? Are you shaking through the range or is it nice and smooth uh, control? And I think, and what's, and I think, you know, if I can kind of, you know, toot my own horn here, what sets me apart from all these other, you know, so-called experts and trainers is that every single person assessing is using the naked eye in order to make judgments on, are you symmetrical or do you have enough mobility or control? But we all know that human observation is one of the most least, is one of the least valid or least accurate methods of actually assessing something, you know, because let's say I, I had all three of us, you know, take someone through like an overhead squat test. And I asked all both of you guys, tell me what's wrong with it. And I'll give my opinions as well. Well, three of us here are going to give us, you're going to give the three different answers. So now, you know, when you extrapolate this to the full assessment, uh, this one trainer, you know, who does your assessment might be identifying like a certain set of issues, but missing other issues, they, they don't have the expertise to identify that. Another trainer might give you a different set of answers because their skill set's a bit different, et cetera, et cetera. So what I do is, you know, being a nerd from Waterloo is I actually own a tech company, which provides technology for virtual movement assessments. And all you need is either your webcam or your smartphone. Because what we do is I have you run through my, my battery of movements recorded over your webcam. I upload these videos to my handy dandy artificial intelligence software. And that software is then you know, based on analyzing human biomechanics. So it's able to extract things like joint angles, joint velocities, uh, symmetries, coordination between joints, all the sets of hardcore biomechanical data that is, has a ton of clinical relevance we can obtain this through your webcam or smartphone, no wearables, no external hardware, just literally film yourself and I can give you like a full on scientific analysis. 
so then based on that, based on all this type of, you know, nerdy data, we distill it down into layman's terms. Like, here's your risk level. Are you low, medium, moderate, or high for each joint? And is it a mobility problem? Is it a symmetry problem? Is it a control problem? Is it a combination of problems? And by understanding these metrics, this is what then guides my AI as well as my ability to then develop your exercise program. Because for example, if I get someone who has awful upper back mobility and an inability to reach overhead, well, they're definitely not getting any kind of overhead pressing work, especially barbell pressing, because that's just gonna lead to a disaster when it comes to shoulder health. But what they will be getting is a lot of thoracic mobility drills to help open up that shoulder girdle. So this is what I'm talking about when it comes about the importance of the assessments, because you wouldn't know to give someone these exercises without understanding the fact that, oh yeah, this guy can't reach overhead because his upper back is just so wound up. So, you know, this is the valley we add over top of this. And I just actually going back to one of your earlier points, Aaron, when you talk about the fitness, fitnessization of, of training, because we're all at home right now, I got two clients who are both JITS players uh, and you know, they work some pretty rigorous jobs. The one lady is a dental hygienist and her now husband is a, is a tool and die maker at a very well-known automotive manufacturer. But both these characters, I know like the, the girl, she's had wrist, elbow, shoulder issues because she's working like this as a dental hygienist on top of, you know, eating Americanas and Kimuras, you know, all day, you know, but we could still roll. And then the dude, it, you know, has a lot of knee and shoulder issues because he's crawling around, you know, on his knees to get underneath dies so he can, you know, make adjustments on top of now, you know, rolling as well. And what was interesting was they were very much used to boot camp style workouts. So just, you know, station after station, go, 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 get as many reps as you can in and just feel the burn. And I took them off that and gave them a, very, a much slower paced, um, but more well thought out training program. And the, over, the feedback I got was, was that was a statement that was, wow, I didn't realize I could do so many push-ups without my shoulders hurting. And they just expected that after I do two sets of 10 push-ups, my shoulders are going to hurt. And that's just the way it has to be. And that's the big thing I try to tell people is that if you are currently in pain or have a discomfort, this is not normal. You don't have to live with this. And it is easily reversible with the right information, such as a very thorough assessment to identify the root cause. Because, you know, for a lot of people, you know, when they get these injuries, they'll ice it, they'll, you know, rub their CBD salve on it, um, you know, they'll foam roll it or whatnot. But these, you know, you're basically addressing the symptoms of your problem, but it's a much deeper underlying issue, which for the most part is, is, is based in the way you move. And so if the person is not addressing this movement compensation, you're just going to end up back at square one, you know, because again, going back to the coat wire analogy, if you're not removing the mechanism that's actually bending the coat wire hanger, you know, I, I could weld up the coat ha wire hanger, I could anodize it, I can do a bunch of crate and tape it up, but if you keep bending it, it's, it's eventually going to break. And, you know, same thing for the human body. So, you know, that is one big thing I got to say is you do not have to be in pain. Pain is like a situation you never want to be in. And like, it's totally unacceptable to wake up in the day and be like, oh, fuck, my back is killing me. Like that doesn't have that, that does not have to be your life. You know, this is easily remedied 
It's just finding the right person to help you out is the biggest challenge. Yeah, you you said something really early in that whole thing was basically about trainers, like, you know, being able to look at a squat assessment and being, oh, oh I know what's wrong, which, and again, like, that's kind of like how some individuals are taught. And, and Mike and I have seen it throughout our years throughout the fitness industry. And where it's like, yeah, okay, you see a squat. Yes, there's there's mechanical things you can see that obviously could be wrong, but it doesn't tell the whole story. And in a lot of times you're like, well, I know all of a sudden this person has a, a hip issue because a, the knee only moves at three degree angles to the left and it doesn't move the patella. And then the ankle doesn't move this way and then it turns internal rotation. Like it's all bullshit to the extent, to the real. Uh, so you also mentioned that you have a uh, technology and app program so like where did that come from did you develop that yourself or well uh my my my, my company did rather my co-founder so um so we 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 run actually two companies uh one is called altius analytics labs and and that's very much a hardcore tech startup um our intellectual property there is in this motion capture technology so i have a business partner he's a former power lifter also happens to have a master's degree in mechatronics engineering and so he's very much well-versed in what they call machine learning or artificial intelligence development. So he, he architected these algorithms, which allow us to do, to recognize various joints in the human body, track their location through 3D space. And this is how we're able to then measure things like joint angles or repetitions of motion or durations of posture. So yeah, that is, that is what my company developed. Currently, you know, our, our customers there are primarily researchers in the health, fitness, and wellness space. So for example, I have one university's school of physiotherapy on my client list, another university's school of occupational health uh, on, on, my, on my client roster. And they're using this you know, to conduct, to collect data um, about how people move so that they can answer research questions and publish papers on this thing. But that being said, I also have another company called Fortius Labs, which Bro, how many companies do you have? Me and Aaron are sitting at home being <laughs> sponsored by Justin Trudeau and like, you have like 17 like companies that you've started. I'm like, you know, I'm like CEO in 1K a month. <laughs> Hire me. Start a but, podcast. I'll jump ship. Yeah, interesting. I might, uh, I wonder if the name Choking Hazard's already taken. Yeah. <laughs> We could sell it to you. Probably, it's probably worth about a dollar and fifty cents right now. Oh, at least a little bit more than that. One hundred trillion dollars. It's all about the algorithm, man. It's all about the the IP IP, IP address. Yeah, fuck. Like that is like one of the biggest battles. So I mean, with my other company, Fortius Labs, this is our online training company. So like. I take my own online clients, you know, all of my direct clients, um, you know, the way I can kind of word this is they're all active people, but have some kind of existing cons or uh, existing injury or concern about an injury where they don't want to hurt themselves. Uh, and my job is to allow them to still perform and maintain their active lifestyles or hobbies while mitigating their injury risk or actually improving upon their injuries. Um, so like with these guys, you know, this ranges, and I got, you know, clients who range from mid 30 school teachers all the way to JTF two and CSOR, which are Canadian special forces, uh, soldiers. 
So, you know, we run the gamut. And I think the real cool part here is that, you know, for my teacher and my JTF2 uh, soldier, they started off with almost the exact same exercises. And it actually blew the teacher's mind when I told her that, that, hey, like you're doing the same program that this badass military dude's doing. And she's like, whoa, no way. But again, you know, it all comes back to the idea that building a base of stability, you know, the, these core principles, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, even if, you know, your mission is just, you just want to get jacked, you know, you can't get jacked if you've herniated a disc and you're just lying in bed for the next six months, right? So this is really, you know, the importance of, you know, these types of assessments and injury prevention, even just for, you know, people, bodybuilders or people who want to be aesthetic. But, but anyways, so, you know, with like, with, the, with these clients, you know, they all start off, you know, in, with the same principles, but then depending on, on their demands of their activities, this is where it starts to branch off so that, you know, my military guy, he's getting a lot more like intense and high and durable work. Whereas my school teacher is getting is still very much getting isometric and neural based training to help address, you know, some frozen, frozen shoulder issues. So yeah, like, you know, we have these direct clients we work with and we're currently in the midst of now expanding into providing the service to personal trainers. So, you know, I actually work with right about five personal trainers right now, and they provide our assessment service to their clients as a complement to their training. And, you know, it's, it's been, it's been amazing to see the results sometimes. Like I'm, I'm sometimes blown away by what's going on. Like we've had people, you know, with like pretty severe, like shin splints and knee, it, knee pain that's been ongoing for six months and they've seen chiros and physios and doctors and no one could help them and then two weeks into our training program they're like wow i can run without pain anymore and i'm always like oh yeah well how, how about that i guess the system works <laughs> so yeah so i mean that's that's like one of the that's what we're working on i mean and right now uh, to, uh altius and fortius are both converging because are we've now developed a pipeline which can now automate this entire process. So the idea would be I could upload videos to a software platform and then within a few minutes, get a report sent back to me that tells me about all of my clients' risk factors, the key findings and observations, recommend exercises for them and track their progress over time. So essentially we're trying to turn Fortius into a software, into a software company for the goal of selling the software to personal trainers. But in the meantime, you know, like uh, we're testing it out by just using ourselves on our own clients. So it's a bit of a win-win scenario. You know, we get, we get to, you know, learn the lessons, develop our software. And at the same time, we're providing, you know, like a premium service and a huge benefit to our clients, you know, because man, like living in pain fucking sucks. Like I I've been there, I'm sure you guys, have, you know, have experienced it as well. I'm sure all the, everyone listening to, and yeah, like, you know, we can get someone out of pain, you know, that, that, that's a huge win. So yeah, that, that's yeah. kind of what's going on here. So one last question. So if you kind of had to summarize your massive knowledge to everything we've kind of talked about, and if you're like, okay, just guys, or anybody training jujitsu, what's the most important exercise these guys need to train in order to be, whether it being successful, be non-pain, throughout their life down the road, what would you say would be the most beneficial thing that you could say you must do this to be successful later in your life? All right. So um, I'll preface by saying that's a very loaded question. It's very uh, loaded. And the, and the true answer is that it depends, you know, to steal the phrase from Stu McGill. 
uh, because the best exercise is going to change depending on what your immediate needs are. Uh, so that if someone has low back pain, well, the best exercise is going to be something that gets rid of that low back pain. Someone who doesn't have low back pain, but has like uh, shoulder immobility, the best exercise for them is probably going to be some kind of upper back mobility drill. But, um, you know, it's a give to actually, you know, actually give you some, give you something. Um, if I could tell anyone, regardless of who you are, a single exercise to do, I would be to literally lie on your back with your legs supported and learn how to breathe properly. You know, good old fashioned diaphragmatic breathing drill. It's so basic. It's so low level, but in my experiences, you know, having assessed probably about in my lifetime, probably about 500 people now, probably, you know, maybe close to a thousand is that maybe 90 plus percent of these people don't have, do not have a natural diaphragmatic breathing pattern. You know, they're very much chest breathers. And this is like a huge culprit for a lot of guys who have upper back and shoulder immobilities, or, you know, even have problems with endurance or headaches or blood pressure, you know, where you've been low back pain is that when these breathing patterns are disrupted, all the muscles that control your ability to breathe are all your core and your trunk muscles. So that if these things aren't firing properly, well, then, all, then almost, you know, guaranteed, you know, this is what the root cause of your hunched shoulders or your, or your stiff low back are. So as a result, every, almost every single person I assess, you know, will exhibit, like, uh, exhibit an issue with their breathing. So we just teach them, you know, when, as they're breathing, you inhale through the nose, you allow the trunk to expand in a 360 degree direction. Kind of imagine pressurizing your abdomen, letting everything expand outwards like a barrel. And as you exhale, it comes out through the mouth and you're hollowing everything, kind of sucking it in, driving all that air out. And this is important because when you breathe diaphragmatically, number one, it's reducing the amount of water you're dripping into the cup that's in your neck and your shoulder girdle. But number two, by using this pattern, you're now calling upon your core musculature, you know, so everything from your oblique internal and external obliques, your transverse abdominis and whatnot, in order to facil facilitate this expansion and hollowing of, of, of the midsection. So often, you know, this is actually interestingly enough, I was reading a few papers about this the other week. Um, there's a lot of um, emerging evidence in the scientific literature to show that the very base layer of low back, people with low back pain is disrupted breathing patterns. So that is, that's, you know, so a lot of therapists or some therapists are starting to trend towards this idea that I need to assess how someone breathes because if there's a problem there, that is like the lowest hanging fruit to pick. I didn't awesome. know that. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you one more uh, last question on top of Aaron's. So I like to, I like to have some fun with, you know, people that we bring on. So <laughs> I haven't done this one in a while. So we're going to do a, a kill F Mary. All right. uh, we're going to pick three cities at random, which let's say Waterloo, Hamilton, Brampton. You have to kill one F one, marry one. So I, I, I would, I would kill Hamilton. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> usually kills Brampton. So to be honest, I would F Brampton. <laughs> here's here's the thing it's that it, it, it's fun to make fun of it's fun to make fun of brampton because a, a lot of dumb shit happens here and to be honest the, the, the populace uh of the city 
is just filled with idiots and assholes. Um, you know, <laughs> I so, was one. Of, I was one of these people. <laughs> are, are you? Are you still in Brampton? No, I'm not. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> How about you, Aaron? Are you? Are you? Are you Brampton? I, I, or? I'm in Mississauga. Like, what blows me away about Brampton is that you're the the fucking mayor goes out on national television and says, hey, we need to move into the orange zone or the red zone because we're so good at how we control our cases and blah, blah, blah. And then that same evening, they have to shut down the Amazon plant because they have an outbreak <laughs> there because over the past four months, they've had almost 1,500 cases. So, Aaron, you're just upset because you didn't get your vibrator from them. Okay. I was just saying. <laughs> like, like, damn it, again, now it's like, delayed. Like, this like, is the third time this month. Like, like, like you said, like stupidity runs wild. Like, I just, it starts with him, it starts from the top, works its way down. I, bl I blame, <laughs> I blame the Brampton Bear for Aaron not getting his vibrator. <laughs> like, listen, Patrick Brown, you're coming in here, you're, you're going to jerk me off personally if I don't get his vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, man, like, you know, like, like driving on the 410 is such a fucking death trap. Like, around, around Christmas time, I, I was coming back to my office in, in North York and, and I had to take Kennedy because surprise surprise there's an accident on the 410 so I'm, I'm, go I'm going you know north north end on kennedy and man i got like five near misses on, on that 20 minute ride home just <laughs> from like guys shout like, out kennedy road that's my hurt. yeah <laughs> good old, yeah good old little kind of kennedy and steels uh what's that no the, the, the strip club is a little south of that uh, not not that I'm, not Aaron, that I'm, or, uh, <laughs> i don't even know where that is that one. <laughs> But yeah, just like just idiots. So as a result, I would I would also I would marry Waterloo because honestly, like like Waterloo is like a, is a is a pretty sweet town, uh, and I it, it, and it's a town, not 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 a not a city. Uh, mm -hmm. But the way I can kind of liken like you know Kitchener Waterloo, they always go hand in hand. It's it's kind of like Springfield and Shelbyville, right? Like yeah, like <laughs> it's a know, good like, analogy. <laughs> Waterloo is like a Shelbyville, you know, like where it's like it's like a little nicer there, and people are smarter. <laughs> and you get and to then... marry your cousins. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? Whoa, we can't do that here, Gemini. <laughs> you know, and that's where we drink our our, our turnip juice. <laughs> our turnip juice. <laughs> but yeah, but then the Kitchener is just full of just like idiots and and crackheads. Um, I remember like when I still lived in downtown Kitchener. Um, can, can we talk about drugs on this podcast? Absolutely. You can, okay. talk, about, you can yeah. talk about whatever the fuck you want. Okay, awesome. So I, 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 got, I got a story for you, extraneous, you know, to all the, all the nerd stuff. So um, back when I was living in downtown Kitchener, um, you know, I, I, my, me and my, my ex would always, well, the girlfriend at the time, you know, would always be hanging at my house because she was living in crappy student residence in Waterloo. And I had this pretty, I had this really sweet house in, in Kitchener. So bachelor pad. <laughs> yeah, man. Like that was such an awesome house. I had, I had a cat and everything. It was pretty, pretty awesome. But anyways, we, uh, we, we, we dropped some acid on like on, on, a, on a Saturday and we, and we went to the, went to Victoria park, like local park, just to like hang out and you know, enjoy the trip. But I don't know if you guys or any listeners here in the Kitchener, but it, it, it's the downtown core is so cramped. 
uh, that you get all like the finance crowd from Manulife, the startup crowd, guys like me, and the crackheads all mingling, you know, all, all on the same city block. So we were at Vic Park and, you know, there's a lot of families there. It's a beautiful day. There's a wedding going on. There's a lot of, you know, little kids and families. And plus you get the crackheads coming through as well. But what tripped us out was the crackheads would stop to talk to us and only us. Like, like we, we watched it happen a few times. Like this guy sleeping on meth, riding his bicycle, starts like rambling to us about like, oh yeah, beautiful day, beautiful day in the park. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go here, and I'm gonna get this done. And a good day. And he, like he's and he's going on. We're like, we're like, oh, okay, chill, chill, but chill, man. And we're watching that, and he just speeds off. And he's not talking to anyone else. And that happened like four more times after that. So eventually, we were like, all right, you know, this is getting a bit too weird. Let's let's go back home and get get someone to eat. So, you know, so my, my ex stops off at the public bathroom there. And for anyone listening who lives or knows Kitchener, if you know the term, the name Bucket Man, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, we had this, uh, this character. He's, you know, he's like a, like a tall, 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 skinny guy, you know, unfortunately has a mental health-ish problem, but he supplements it by doing crack, uh, you know, which is not, not helping anyone. So... I see Bucket Man and his girlfriend uh, in the hanging out in the public bathroom too. Like basically, there's like a there's like a family private bathroom, men's room, women's bathroom. So my 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 girl or ex goes into the women's bathroom. I'm just waiting outside, standing around, and I see the family bathroom is propped open with a guitar amp plugged into the to the wall socket, and there's Bucket Man and his girlfriend hanging out in there. And I'm looking at them. They're looking at me. I, I look away. I look back. They're still looking at me. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to go well. So Bucket Man starts walking towards me. And I'm like thinking, fuck, well, here it is. Well, hopefully I saw my wits about me to like throw a straight right should anything occur. But he started rambling about me about something. I couldn't really understand what he's saying. So I was just like, oh, like, it's okay. It's okay. And he's like, hey, he said to me, like, hey, bro, like, you cool, you cool? And I'm like, yeah, I'm cool, I'm cool. Uh, so <laughs> he shouts over to his, to his girl, yeah, he's cool, don't worry. So I get the feeling, you know, because I was, like, tripping balls, I probably didn't realize how much I was, like, staring at him. And, and now I think about it, I was probably the one making him uncomfortable. So <laughs> he came to smooth the situation out. So when my girlfriend or my ex got out, I was like, we need to go right now. And I'm just like, <laughs> You're making the homeless people feel uncomfortable. Come on, man. <laughs> it's like, so there's a bunch of people, like, dropping acid. <laughs> And I'm the one scaring them. <laughs> it turns out I was the monster. <laughs> I think we're going to end on that. Ben, uh, we've known each other a long time. Uh, appreciate your, your time coming on tonight. Um, do you have any sponsors? Anybody you want to thank coming up in the ranks? You know, I'll let you have the last word. Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on this. It's been it's been real fun. I haven't really talked to anyone in a long time, so I'm lonely. <laughs> Help <Good> me. <laughs> I'm do acid with me. Yeah, if you want someone to drop in my house, I'll give you my home address, my SIN number, and yeah, and all that information. So get your pencils ready. But no, um, uh, if, so anyone listening, you know, who enjoyed what I was talking about, wants to learn more about, you know, injury rehab or wants to get their assessment done or, you know, help or you need some help, you know, addressing their pain and injuries, 
uh, give me a shout. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Fortius Labs. That's F-O-R-T-I-S, sorry, F-O-R-T-I-U-S, L-A-B-S, Fortius Labs on Instagram. And if you do, and if you go to Fortius-Labs.com, you can go to our websites and you can contact us directly right there. Perfect. Well, Ben, I want to thank you very much for joining us tonight. Um, make sure you send us all the links for everything so that way we can attach everything to the YouTube and also the podcast. And we will hope to have you on again soon. We can have some other discussions for sure. Yeah, man. Sounds good. Like, there, like there, there's so many myths and perversions about training. I don't think you could accurately cover everything in like an single hour. So...